0: turn your bibles please to john chapter 13 john chapter 13 is where we'll be this morning praise the lord we also we uh, survived hurricane adelia and uh, i was getting a little nervous this is my first hurricane as uh as a senior pastor and um i was worried i was out here the day before kind of making sure everything was okay and then i came after the uh the storm passed and i was like well praise the lord Uh, we do want to keep in prayer the people in the big bend though Um, as you've no doubt heard lots of people lost their homes and uh, lots of property damage a few people lost their lives as well so be in prayer for the people over there uh, and especially the churches as well as they uh, seek to rebuild um, during this time john chapter 13 is where we'll be i suppose i should turn there myself instead of talking but uh john chapter 13 We'll read from verses 1 through 17. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. The Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. The title of the message this morning is The Servant King, The Servant King. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help in this sermon this morning. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Now, Lord, as I open the word of God to your people here, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and help me, Lord, to say what you want me to say, and may it be applied to our hearts the way that you want it to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I googled this week, which is always a dangerous thing, I googled what are the duties of a king, and I found some very interesting uh, results. Sim- They're were, they were all pretty similar. Uh, if I could condense my findings to you this morning, the roles of a king are simply this, what you would expect. A king is a head of state. Uh, a king is expected to meet other national important figures uh, during times of crises, during times of diplomacy, a king is expected to attend special events and gatherings like national sporting events or national celebrations or holidays. In the, in, in the nation of England, in the United Kingdom, he is the head of the armed forces. He is the head of the Church of England. And in older times, in, in several hundred years gone by, a king was to resolve disputes. A king was to administrate the business of the nation. A king was supposed to act as a public symbol of national. Pride, And in many nations now, even in modern times, the king or the queen of a nation is still viewed as an icon, is still viewed as somebody to exalt, somebody to raise up above everybody else. In fact, I found a video clip of King Charles III uh, this week on the internet, and he's about to sit down at a table in order to do something, perform some, some, uh, some ceremony or something like that, and there's something on the table in front of him that was not supposed to be there, and he does not pick the item up and move it over to the, across the table. He motions to a servant and tells this servant, you need to get rid of this here. I can't be the one bothered to move all of these things. A king is expected to do kingly things. But you know the one thing that I did not find in spite of my 10 minutes of searching on Google? The one thing I could not find a king doing was foot washing. As much as you would think that you might find a servant leadership habits or things like that, you could not find one instance of a king washing feet or doing some other type of servant duty. People don't expect a king to do such menial tasks. They don't expect a king to do these kinds of lower duties. And yet, in the text that we just read, we find Jesus, the king of kings, washing Feet. That ought to do something inside us when we read this. Our King of kings, our Lord of Lords, the Savior of the entire world, who knew that he was about to be crucified, what does he do the day before he dies? Wash his feet. Jesus in this text, he humbly loves all of his disciples, as we'll as we'll see, because not all of these people here were his disciples. He humbly loves all of them by washing their feet and instructing them to do the same in verse number 16 and 17. What can we get from this passage this morning? What is the big idea that we come away with? What is the application to our lives this morning? It is not just a nice, feel-good story about how good we have and how good the the King of Kings is to us. No, the application to be made from this scripture this morning is this. We must also follow Jesus' example. We must also humbly serve others. We must also humbly serve the Lord of Lords. I want us to look this morning at three ways at Jesus and how Jesus served. How can we follow Jesus' example? How does Jesus serve? There are three things that I see in this passage here. And the first one is this Jesus humbly served regardless of his circumstances. Jesus humbly served regardless of his circumstances. I mentioned earlier that his death was less than 24 hours away. Uh, for those of us that are in here, we have not had a, at least to my knowledge, we have not a significant brush with death uh, as far as I know. But if, if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do? What would you be doing right now? You knew in 24 hours you would be dead. Many of us have bucket lists, <laughs> We have things that we want to cross off our bucket list. Perhaps, and I think probably the majority of us would want to spend time with family. The last 24 hours of our life, we want to spend with those that are closest to us. All of a sudden, money doesn't matter as much as it did anymore, right? There was at least one person in history that knew that he was going to die in the next 24 hours, and that was Jesus. And what do we find him doing? We find him washing feet. You notice in verse number one, he says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. In verse three, he was going to God. Jesus knew that his time was come. He knew that his time was close to being done. He knew that this was the last precious few moments that he would have with his disciples. And the important thing that he would teach them is this, you need to serve each other. He was serving in spite of the fact that death was less than 24 hours away, but he was also serving that despite the fact he was the King of Kings. Look at verse number three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. It didn't just say Jesus rose from supper, it, it, he, the Apostle John prefaces jesus rising from supper with this fact that jesus because he knew the father had given him authority and control of everything because jesus was omniscient because jesus was god because he was god in the flesh it was because jesus was god that he rose from supper to clean the disciples feet he knew that he was god and because he knew he was god what does he do he gets up to wash feet it is interesting to know that the, 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 the duty that was given of washing somebody's feet in the Bible times here was normally given to a servant. And it was typically given, MacArthur notes this, he, it was typically given to a Gentile slave. When you would go to somebody's house in the Bible times and you would sit down to eat, before you would go into their house, you would go into their, their foyer, into their, in, um, in, so to speak, in their, their front porch, And they would have a basin of water, they would have a towel, and they would have a Gentile slave typically wash your feet. Take off your sandal, wash your feet so that you can go in to your guest uh, and, and fellowship with your friend. For whatever reason, this was not done before the disciples came and sat down to dinner. Uh, There have been several speculations about why this is the case. Perhaps the disciples, each of them, we know from Luke chapter 22, as they go into supper, they're arguing with each other about who is going to be first in the kingdom. Luke 22 24 says this, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered greatest. Maybe you can see Peter, James, and John arguing amongst themselves. No, I'm going to be sitting next to Jesus in heaven. No, I'm going to be the first person sitting on the right hand of Jesus in heaven. No, I'm going to be the person that is going to be given the most prominent position in the kingdom of heaven. And you see all these disciples, and they they enter this room, this upper room, and they're arguing with each other about who is the most important one among them naturally if you're arguing that you're the most important person in the room you're not going to offer to do the most humble task in the room are you so many scholars have speculated that perhaps as they came into the room all of them avoided washing each other's feet because if they washed one person's feet even if they washed jesus's feet that would mean that well you've offered yourself up now you've got to wash everybody else's feet (laughs) If I wash your feet, i got to wash everybody else's feet now. And that is not becoming of somebody that's important. That's below me. That is a job for a servant, not somebody as important as I am. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, when the supper is over, he takes a towel, he gets up, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. Look at verse number four. Verse number four says this: He rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Don't get past verse number four without understanding the full gravity of verse number four. Verse number four is pregnant with gospel truth. Thayer's Greek lexicon notes that it is possible that a towel like Jesus put around himself during this time would have also been used to cover the nakedness of a crucifixion victim. The same type of towel that Jesus girded himself to wash the disciples' feet may as well have been the same kind of towel that would be wrapped around somebody, put it onto a cross to be crucified. Would you think about that? What a foreshadowing. What a sombering symbol with this one commentator, uh, who uh, Morris, calls this a parable in action. If you look at verse number four, we'll walk through it together here. But he calls it a parable in action. And, and I knew there was something special about verse number four, but I didn't understand it until I heard one commentator put it this way. David Guzik puts it this way. If you look at verse number four, Jesus rose from supper, which was a place of peace and comfort. He rose from his throne in heaven, a place of rest and comfort. But secondly, Jesus laid aside his garments, taking off his covering. He laid aside his glory, taking off his heavenly covering. In verse number four, Jesus takes a towel and girds himself, getting ready to work. And in the same way, Jesus takes the form of a servant in Isaiah 53 and came to earth ready to work. Number seven, Jesus poured water into a basin, getting ready to clean the disciples' feet but Jesus also poured out his blood to cleanse us from the guilt and the penalty of sin. And if you look down in verse number 12, Jesus sits down again after washing their feet. And so Jesus, after he is crucified, sits down at the right hand of God the Father after cleansing us. Oh, go, Don't get past verse number 4. Don't get past verse number 12 without realizing what John is trying to communicate to us. Jesus does not, he does not merely record the details of Jesus taking off his outer coverings and putting on a towel to serve his disciples for storytelling effect. No, every single word of God is pure and every word is put in here for a purpose. Jesus takes off his outer coverings to demonstrate to us in the same way that he takes off his outer coverings in this passage. He took off his heavenly garments he came to earth ready to work to cleanse us to clean us to save us jesus is the servant king what a great wonderful humble god we serve death is coming to the god of life the king of kings and what do we find him doing the day before we find him washing his disciples feet During the time of Jesus and afterward, we we find and we hear from history that the Roman emperors declared themselves to be gods. Even the, the Roman emperor at the time of Jesus' birth, Caesar Augustus, declared himself to be a deity and demanded worship from all of Romans' citizens. So any citizen who dared defy Caesar and not worship him and instead worship some other god and not deify Caesar would be put to death. We know this from this first, second, third, fourth, fifth centuries. Christians, as you know, were led to the Colosseum. They were persecuted. They were fed to lions. They were burned at the stake. All because they would not worship a Roman emperor. Human rulers demand worship, but such worship is not worship at all. And in fact, if you have to demand somebody worship you, I would say you're not really a god, are you? There is one person in history that has never demanded worship or coerced worship. Jesus, the sayer of paradoxes like this. He, will, he who will lose his life will save it. And the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Or how about this? He who exalts himself will be abased and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He compels you to worship this morning. He demands your worship not through an edict, not through a decree, not through a great miracle or anything like that in this passage, but he compels you to worship him because of the example that he shows us. He is the ultimate servant, the ultimate servant king. Jesus humbly served in spite of his circumstances. But the second thing that we see is this. Jesus humbly served both his followers and his betrayer. Jesus humbly served both his followers and betrayer. Look at verse number six. Then he came to Simon Peter. And we know that Peter's about to say something funny, right? Because that's all that Peter ever does in the Gospels. At least that's how I view him. Every time Peter opens his mouth, it's, it's comical almost to us. And yet we find ourselves relating to Peter because we find ourselves sitting in his, uh, standing in his shoes oftentimes. Peter says, "Lord, are you washing my feet? Are you washing my feet?" Peter asks a question, but I want you to notice that he is quickly horrified. He's indignant that Jesus would wash his feet. And in fact, he refuses that Jesus washes feet in verse number 8. Uh, verse number seven, Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Jesus said, it's, it's fine, Peter, it's, it's okay. You, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but but let me have my way and you will know what I'm doing after this moment. And Peter in verse number eight says this, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Righteous indignation, we would think, Right? Peter is so appalled at the thought of Jesus washing his feet, such a thing is unheard of. It was expected that a rabbi might have his disciples wash his feet, but for a rabbi to bend down and wash his disciples' feet would be very unbecoming. It would be undignified. It would be unheard of throughout Israel. But I want you to notice this. As Peter looks at Jesus and as he is got this facade of righteous indignation. Jesus, you're never going to wash my feet. And we think to ourselves, this is a, this is a good response. I want you to notice that Peter does not offer to start washing Jesus' feet. Jesus starts washing Peter's feet, and Peter responds by saying, you're not going to wash my feet. But what is absent is that Peter does not offer instead to wash Jesus' feet. No, let me, let me wash your feet, Lord. Let me, let me be your servant. You see, so often I think in our lives we have a false humility about us. We think to ourselves, no, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. Or this, this false sense of humility that Peter puts on, but in, but he does not instead offer to wash Jesus' feet. How do, we, how do we react to other people in our lives? We falsely put on this front of, I am so humble. I uh, I am going to live like a humble person. I'm not going to ask for much. I, I am, uh, I'm living like, uh, in, like a humble person would live, hopefully. But we don't realize that often our facade of humility is false. Peter does not offer to wash Jesus' feet. In fact, he's, not, he's actually not upset that his feet are being washed. He's upset that it's Jesus who's doing it. <laughs> but it's still not enough to convince him to take the towel from Jesus and start washing other people's feet. Jesus maintains control of the situation, of course, because he's God. And he responds to Peter and says this in verse number 8. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is now not talking about the physical washing because he washes everybody's feet in the room. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have any part with me. You won't have fellowship with me. You will not be able to participate in the blessings that I have to offer you. In other words, Peter, let me have my way with you. Stop putting up a false front of humility and receive the help that I, your Lord, am trying to give you. He speaks of washing. And we can't help but think of the gospel implications of this as well. When we were washed with the blood of Jesus, what does that do? It washes us clean from our sins. It washes us clean from the penalty of sin. It washes us clean from the destiny that we were headed toward before we were saved. Jesus washes us. And it is that washing that he is talking about in verse number 8. He was not speaking about mere foot washing here. He was talking about a spiritual cleansing. Do you think that you do not need Jesus this morning? Peter certainly did. Peter refused the washing of Jesus. Perhaps you're sitting in this room and you have refused the washing of Jesus. Perhaps you're not saved this morning and you think to yourself, no, I'll I'll make it just fine by myself. My, my father was a Baptist preacher or my, my family has been uh, a Southern Baptist for as long as I can remember. I'll be just fine. I don't need Jesus. I don't need this. Jesus, you're never going to wash my feet. That's a false humility, my friend. Now, Jesus implores you. He begs you. No, let me have my way with you. Let me wash you. Let me clean you up. What does Peter do? Look at verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So it's the other way now. So Peter now understands, oh, oh Jesus, you're wanting to do this? Okay, well just don't do just my feet, but do my hands and my head as well. You see, Peter, once he realizes what Jesus is trying to say to him, he's all in. He accepts what Jesus is trying to do for him. But Jesus explains to Peter that it's necessary just to wash his feet. Peter had already believed. Indeed, we've seen in weeks past, I don't have the exact chapter numbers here, but we uh, we preached and we learned a few weeks ago that Peter actually acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah. You are the Son of God. To whom shall we turn? You have the words of eternal life. Peter believed in Jesus already. It wasn't necessary for Jesus to wash his entire body. In verse number 9, he says, uh, he who, or verse 10, he who is bathed needs not only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus explains to Peter that, Peter, you're, you're already clean. You just need to go through a regular foot washing. Those of us that are saved in here, you're already clean, you're already justified, you're already righteous. Your sins have been put as far away from the east as from the west. They are behind God's back and he will never ever bring them up again. But that does not mean that you don't need a regular foot washing. You need to renew your relationship with Christ every single day day in the same way that you would not go days or weeks without talking to your loved ones or to your spouse you do not go days or weeks without confessing new sins and keeping your heart right with jesus regularly you need a regular foot washing judas is silent throughout this entire exchange we find two characters here of course we find peter who is very vocal, who after putting up a false front of humility finally accepts what Jesus is trying to do for him, but then we find one other character that Jesus knows that's in the room, who's completely silent. You know, just one chapter earlier, we find Judas very vocal. When, when Jesus uh, received, uh, or when, I'm sorry, when Mary wiped Jesus' feet with her hair and poured the ointment all over Jesus' feet, what was Judas's response Judas' response in that chapter was a false indignation, false humility, was it not? Why was this not sold for 300 pence and and, and the money given to the poor? Judas was very vocal when it came to matters of money, but Judas is silent when it comes to chapter 13. In verses 2, verses 10, and verses 11, we find Judas Iscariot mentioned. Look with me. Verse number 2, in supper being ended, The devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse number 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Verse number 11, for he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. Did Jesus skip over Judas whenever he washed their feet? He did not. Jesus washed every single one of those men's feet. The focus is not on Judas in this passage, although he's mentioned a few times. The focus is on Jesus. And the takeaway is this. Would you serve the person that you knew was going to stab you in the back tomorrow? (laughs) Probably not. Thank you for your honesty. (laughs) I know I wouldn't want to. We battle our flesh every single day. And if I knew that you were going to cheat me or wrong me tomorrow. Do you think I would do something nice for you today? Absolutely not. I must confess that I too am human. But what does Jesus say in Matthew 5, 44? Love your enemies. Do good to them who persecute you. To those who spitefully use you. Jesus loved Judas to the very end. We see in verse number... Verse number one is such a beautiful verse. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When Jesus washed Peter's feet, he was saying, I love you, Peter. And when Jesus came around to the table to Judas and he washed Judas's feet, what was he saying? I love you, Judas. I know what you're going to do, but I still love you. What a great God we serve. Jesus humbly serves both his followers and his betrayer. May we have the same attitude toward those who do not love us as well. Maybe you have a family member or a friend that used to be a friend or somebody that is indeed a mortal enemy now to you and you, the very last thing on your mind is this, that you would serve them, that you would pray for them, that you would do something good for them. May we remember the example of Jesus who on the very eve of his death looked in the face of the person who would turn him in to the authorities and still said, I love you. Jesus humbly served under the circumstances. Jesus humbly served both his followers and his betrayers. But finally, we see this morning, Jesus humbly served as an example for us to follow. Jesus humbly served as an example for us to follow. You see, it's not just enough to say that Jesus is Lord. In verse number 13, he says this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This was not a magic trick that Jesus was doing. This was not an illustration. This was not a... a, Uh, uh, something to, to wow the disciples into seeing who Jesus was. This was done by Jesus for a specific purpose, and that was to show them what they were supposed to be doing for each other. You see, there are plenty of people who say that Jesus is Lord, but there are not very many people who actually serve him. You may say that, yes, Jesus is my Savior, and uh, I love God, and uh, I grew up going to church, perhaps, but I don't really do anything anymore with Jesus. We're not really on, I've heard it put this way, me and God are not really on speaking terms right now. You see, it's not just enough to say Jesus is Lord. And James chapter 1 tells us this, we must not only be hearers of the word, we must also be doers of the word. The book of Philippians tells us in uh, chapter 3, I believe it is, we must work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. We must follow Jesus' example of humble service in verse number 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. you see, if the king of kings washed his disciples' feet, then how much more as we his servants ought to be more than willing to humbly serve each other. Nobody is above service to others. There is no task that God asks of us that is below our pay grade. <laughs> you do not get to say to God, no God, that's for somebody else to do. I just do not, that's not for me to do, God. I do not want to do that that is below me. There is no task that is below us as a child of God. If God wants us to do something, we ought to do it. Service to God comes in all different forms. I grew up in church. I, uh, I was saved at a very early age. I was about six or seven years old, I believe. And from the time that I was save to now actually i've been involved in just about every single part of a ministry that you can be part of um, from the very first when i was an early teenager verse first thir- uh, age 13 all the way through uh when i got to college i, I played the piano for our church choir back home uh, i was involved in children's ministry of course uh, many of you know my story coming to jacksonville i was an associate pastor there for um, six years and now uh now in my seventh year in jacksonville i'm here I've been involved in just about every single department of a church that you could probably be involved in, besides the nursery. I didn't do anything in the nursery. Um, But yet there was no task, there's no duty, there's no service that I did that I thought that's below me. There is no task, church, that is below us, whether it is cleaning toilets, whether it is teaching a Sunday school class, whether it is serving in the nursery, whether it is singing and playing uh, up on the stage, uh, whether it is operating the sound booth, whether it is uh, maintaining the grounds around here, whatever it is, there is no service. There is no job in the ministry and the kingdom of God that is below us. Service to Jesus. You know, in verse number 16, if we if we decline to serve God, we are calling ourselves better than Jesus. Verse 16, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Jesus has, get the picture here, Jesus has just washed their feet. He has put the towel up, he has sat down again, and he has told them this, you guys got to do the same thing to each other after I'm gone. And he also says this a servant is not greater than his master the the implication is this if, if you don't wash other people's feet like I've told you to are you saying you're better than me are you saying you're better than Jesus by abstaining from any kind of service to God That seems to be what you're saying, is it not? Your actions will speak louder than your words. You can call yourself a Christian. You can call Jesus Lord, but if you do not serve Christ in some measure, Jesus says that's like saying you're better than your master. Mark 10 verse 45 says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. May we serve him with a joyful heart church family serving ought to be and it is a joy verse number 17 we will end here he says in verse number 17 if you know these things blessed are you if you do them the word blessed means very simply happy happy is he jesus says if you do what i've commanded you you're going to be happy Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, if you serve me, you will always be in good health. He did not say, if you serve me, you will always be in good financial circumstances. He did not say that if you serve me, you will always have everything go your way. But he did say, if you do serve me, you will be blessed. You will be happy. There is joy in serving Jesus. Psalm 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. 1 Samuel 12 24 says only fear the Lord and serve him with all your heart consider for consider what great things he has done for you if you get anything out of the message this morning remember this serve Jesus because of what he has done for you there is joy in serving Jesus Many of you might have heard of the evangelist Dwight L. Moody. How many of you have heard of him? D. L. Moody? Just a few of us. He was a very famous evangelist in the 1800s that went around the United States preaching. It was estimated that during his lifetime, he probably preached to over 100 million people. He died in 1899, but before he died, he would hold a number of conferences. And at one of his conferences in Massachusetts, a large group of European pastors came from across the Atlantic Ocean, and following the European custom of the time, when they got settled into their hotel rooms, these European pastors set their shoes outside the door of each of their hotel rooms, because in Europe, when you set your shoes outside your hotel room, there would be a hired uh, servant that would come by and shine your shoes and leave them there for you in the morning in the United States, there was no such custom. There was no hired position for this. And so as D.L. Moody walked through the hotel halls that night, he saw all of these shoes, knowing that all of these people that he had invited expected their shoes to be shined. And he didn't want them to be embarrassed. He didn't want them to open the doors the next morning and find their shoes dirty as they were before. And so what did D.L. Moody do? This great evangelist he took all of their shoes slowly one by one he took all of the pairs of shoes from all of the doors back to his own room and shined every single one of those shoes for his fellow pastors and put them back in the hallway before anybody noticed and the only reason the only reason that we know this story is because somebody knocked on D.L. Moody's door that night and found him shining all these shoes And recorded the story for us so that way we have it today perhaps this little glimpse into the life of D.L. Moody is the reason that God used him so mightily because for a man who was used as much as D.L. Moody he never lost this attitude that he was there to be a servant to everyone Charles Spurgeon said this and I'll leave you with this If there is a position in the church where the worker will have to toil hard and get no thanks for it, take it and be blessed with it. If you can perform a service which few will ever seek to do themselves or appreciate when performed by others, yet occupy it with holy delight, covet humble work, and when you get it, be content to continue in it. There is no great rush after the lowest places. And you will rob no one by seeking them. Jesus humbly served his disciples under the circumstances. He humbly served both his followers and his betrayer. But Jesus also humbly served as an example for us to follow today. May we follow Jesus' example of service. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning.